You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the Tutor Radiographer in the hospital's Medical Imaging Department. So for those listening who are in healthcare, which is probably about 99% of our listeners, our main motivation to join the healthcare workforce is because we want to help people. We want to help patients to get the best possible care. And there's lots of focus about what that means to achieve the best possible care. Some go into research to look at best practice models. Others have a focus around efficiency and ensuring that healthcare is provided quickly to meet the demands of government and having other patients not wait for so long. But what is it that patients really want? They want to be treated like a person. And for the paediatric population, they want to feel like the most important person in the world. And this is where patient-centred care comes into it. This is the first of a series we're running on patient-centred care and what better place to start than by talking about taking care of each other. I'm joined today by Dr. Catherine Crock, uh, who I'm going to call Kathy for the purpose of this podcast. Kathy's a physician in the haematology department here at RCH, but he's also the founder of the Hush Foundation, which aims to create music to provide a healing environment for patients everywhere. Welcome, Kathy. Nice to see you, Steve. So, Kathy, let's start the conversation about patient-centred care. It's a really big topic and pretty self-explanatory. We're allowing the patient to be involved in their own care rather than just telling them how it needs to be done. How did you begin the process of involving patients and families in their own care and in systems change? Steve, I think I'll take you back really to when I started at RCH about 25 years ago now. And my job was to do bone marrow tests and lumbar punctures on the children with leukaemia and other cancers. And at the time, I had five young children at home myself and came to work to, you know, do a little bit of part-time work. But what actually happened was life-changing for me. So in those days, we were actually needing to restrain children to have these procedures done. Uh Um, They would come multiple times over two or three years. So maybe 50 times they would come for these procedures. And I was watching their anxiety levels go up and up as they came back. And they knew that that treatment room was not a good place for them. Yeah. I did something a little bit unusual at the time. And I thought, I really need to know what this is like for the families and for the children and how they're coping with the journey. Because if it was happening to one of my children, I was thinking I would not be able to cope with this. Yeah, absolutely. I sat down with a group of parents, got a plate of sandwiches, and I said, could you tell me what the experience is like? And what parts of that experience could we change to improve it for you and your children? What came out was quite extraordinary. The things that... um, the families were experiencing that we as health professionals weren't really aware of. We're not living that journey. Mm. And I suddenly realized the families have got so much they could share with us if we invite them into the conversation and if we ask them really how is it to them and what matters to them. What are the things that really we could make easier just because we've asked and then we know? That that must have been almost horrible for you as a as a physician to have patients coming in knowing that they that their levels of anxiety just increased every single time that they came into the room. And I mean, e- even nowadays, we still have 
some issues of of patients who have, who have had poor hospital experiences and that and they they do come back and they 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 do get anxious and and you know in in my situation in an x-ray room I'll, I'll get a patient that'll come in and they might be a little bit anxious and the parent might say to me you know they had a bad experience last time they were in here or the last time they were in here they were in a lot more pain or something like that and so their their anxiety kind of increases Look, it really made it clear to me that if we invest in making each experience as good as we possibly can, it is such a, a great thing for their future journey through yeah. healthcare, not only when they're a child, but later on in life. Yeah. So how is patient-centred care important for the safety of the patient? Well, this is interesting. Another thing that was coming very clearly when I was talking to the families was how much they notice about potential errors or things that have gone wrong with their child. And back in those days, they didn't really feel it was a safe culture for them to be able to speak up if they noticed something. Yeah, right. They felt like that could impact their care in a negative way, that they would be labelled as a difficult or manipulative parent, when in actual fact, they have their eye 100% on the ball and they really are noticing a lot of things. And I think it's up to us to then invite them in and say, you are part of the team. You're part of the safety of what's going on for your child and for your family. And we would like you to speak up. No one is going to judge you for that. In fact, we will just be so grateful that you're able to help us and say, I'm not sure about that medication. It's not the same as one we had the other day. Yeah. Or the sterility of when things are being done. Yeah. If the families are noticing that someone hasn't got the technique quite right. It's a big thing to put on them to notice that and not have a safe way of telling us. Yeah. It, it, it's also, I, I guess, a big thing for the healthcare professional when, you know, you might have someone, a patient's come in and they, they've had uh, something done to them in, in a certain way that was an acceptable way to do it. And then the next time they come in, someone else is doing the same procedure but in a different way, and the parent just says, oh, hang on a second, this is not how it was done last time. Now, they may still have a rationale. Both people may still have a rationale for doing it the way that they do it, but the clinician or the, or the healthcare professional might be just like, well, they may be taking offence to that in terms of the way that the parents actually bring that up when really they should be looking at it and just going, well, hang on, why is the parent actually concerned about this? Is there a reason the, patient is, or the parent is concerned about this? And I must admit that I have certainly changed the way that I look at parents as well. Parents are sometimes seen as being, can be seen sometimes as being difficult parents and and things like that. Whereas I, in the last couple of years, as a pediatric healthcare professional, I've actually looked at parents now. And if a parent that I would normally have used to have thought is being difficult, I often think, okay, well, why, why are they acting on what they are? What are their concerns that I can actually help with? And so that then opens up the dialogue that you can do talk with your parents. Yes, and you can have some fantastic conversations that really are a, a proper two-way partnership that yeah. is really important. And um, when you mention difficult parents, actually what I've seen over the years is that label can really damage their relationship with other health professionals. So the way we can pass that on, I can say, Steve, watch out for this mum, she's difficult you go into the room with her with a totally different mindset, mm. not an open mind of let's have a good, honest relationship, but one where you've already made a judgment about her and you're a little bit less likely to listen to exactly what she's trying to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the experience that that person had a week ago, 
the parent may be in a completely different mindset because now they're actually not as concerned as they were in, in the past. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Now we're all involved in the in the care of the patient somehow, and in some cases, there's a differing of opinions uh, in how a patient is treated, or people may have different priorities. Like you know, your your colleagues or whatever may have different priorities in terms of what matters to them about the way someone is treated. How much do staff interactions with each other impact the patient's care? Look, Steve, I think this is the whole crux, really, of our relationships with the patients and families, is how staff are feeling in their role, how they're treating each other, how the organisation might be treating them. It's something that I've taken a great interest in in recent years, and it, in a way, crystallised for me why over quite a length of time, patient-centred care might have had a little bit of trouble getting traction. So certainly when I talked about let's involve the patients and families some many years ago, there were people who were reluctant to do that, who felt that um, it was just messing up the status quo in some way, that it was really going to be an impediment to us doing the best care. Yeah. And I puzzled over that for ages. I actually travelled on a Churchill Fellowship in 2010 and I asked patient safety experts around the world, why are we having some problems with how we interact with patients and families? And in fact, what I came up with was the way staff treat each other impedes the way they can interact with patients and families. So if you're not feeling cared for and valued and treated with kindness and respect by your colleagues and your organisation, then we come along and say, and we want you to do patient and family-centred care. Yeah. And to some extent, staff were sort of backing off and going, we're, we're giving all we can, we're doing as much as we can. You're asking too much because we're not even in a good place in our workplace. Yeah. So if you step back then and think, okay, let's look at our relationships first. When those relationships are really robust and caring and kind, you're in a fantastic place to thrive in your work and the patients and families absolutely feel it. Mm-hmm. And, and this kind of brings in the concept of, of kindness itself because that's something that you've been a very, very strong advocate for. One of the things that the Hush Foundation has done, as well as producing music for hospitals and healthcare settings, is bring actors into hospitals and put on uh, plays that actually portray some of the difficult um, interactions, communication, patient safety issues that go on in healthcare. And these plays made of true stories, um, we've put them on in hospitals 200 times now Mm. across Australia and internationally. The feedback that we get from the audiences when we start to unpack the issues at the end of the play um, have been quite extraordinary. And basically, led me and the Hush Foundation team to realise there's actually a crisis in the culture in healthcare and how we all treat each other. And it's something that we need to address because at every single performance we've done, we have staff talking about burnout, difficulty with their colleagues, bullying, harassment, just not feeling that joy in your work because it is too hard interacting with your colleagues. And mostly it is not the interactions with the patients and families they talk about. It's the behind the scenes culture and behaviour that they mentioned. And I have that feedback from nearly 15,000 people now. Wow. And felt a huge responsibility to do something with that and to try and change the conversation. 
I do acknowledge that there is bad behaviour and, and problems in our culture, but how would it be if we think about a kind health system and how we can all work together to build that? What is it that is going to take us to a place where the health system is kind to the people working in it, Yeah, that we are kind to each other, and then the patients and families feel that kindness? And so for someone, for example, who is under a, a fair amount of stress in their work, their priority is obviously to try to get through the work and maintain that type of efficiency. And then you get someone else coming in and asking them a question that has nothing to do with the priority that they have. And that really works them up. And I'm sure we've all been in this situation before. Let's look at it from both sides. How does the person who's actually the one who's actually under all that pressure, how, how can they circumvent this to, to make it a little bit better for them? I think really if we can build a culture where we are all kind to each other and that person is feeling kindness from the rest of the team mm. and the team is pulling together really well because of that, it actually can take the stress away from a really busy environment and can help you step back and actually react differently when that person does come to ask you a question, even if you're busy. So. I can give an example of our operating theatre. So now um, virtually all the children having oncology and haematology procedures go off to sleep under a brief anaesthetic. Yeah. And the aim is to do all the painful things that need to be done all under that one anaesthetic. Our team in theatre consists of about seven different departments who all come together in the morning to do these procedures and get the children safely through. We've put a lot of work into that team over the years how we all treat each other. Yeah. So the huddle in the morning is so important, introducing everybody, checking in with how everybody's going, seeing if anybody's got any safety concerns or any worries about that particular morning. Yeah. Even bringing your own vulnerabilities into that room and then sharing it with the team. Yeah. You know, recently I've had a really close friend um, who had a bad bike accident and in fact, uh, passed away. The team were fantastic because I came to work and I was actually able to talk about that and get their support around me. Now we had a really busy morning, but I felt able to cope with the pressure and the, the speed of the morning because they were sort of wrapping their arms around me in a way that meant we could do the work safely. Yeah. And, and even the, the fact that the culture had been developed enough that you felt comfortable being able to come and share that type of information as well, which would have helped. I'd have to say, Steve, when I started doing it a few years ago, it was really uncomfortable because we're not used to doing that. Yeah. We've got this professional persona that we put on when we come into work often um, that we don't let anything that might be happening in the rest of our lives into that space. It's actually not a reality mm. because we've all got it going on. We've all got things that have happened at home or and may not be going well, actually to share that is like take a big load off your shoulders and the team will say to me, we've got your back, we're going to help you check the chemo and make sure everything's really safe this morning. Yeah. Just kind of uh, moving on into the beginning of the Hush Foundation itself because you, you talked a lot about music and that. So how, was, how and where was all this type of thing sparked? It was really those early conversations with the families. So one of the things they said to me, as well as, you know, could we work on how to make the procedures less painful? They said the environment when we come into somewhere like a hospital is bewildering and scary for us. 
health professionals, I think we get a little bit used to it. Mm. Um, but for a family coming in, the noises and the busyness and all the new language, et cetera, it's very bewildering and makes families feel vulnerable. And they actually talked about bringing in some music. Right. So they may have music in their home life or whatever. They come in here and there was none of that. So I started to bring composers and musicians into the hospital and use their expertise to work out what's the right sort of music that will sit in the environment and help reduce people's anxiety without actually making the noise level worse. So there's some music that works really well and other music we found didn't work so well. And over the last 20 years, Hush has done 20 albums of music newly composed by Australian composers who've all had an experience in a hospital or a healthcare setting that has given them the understanding of how to write their music and how to help us. Yeah. Do you find that the music still is a very individual preference from the patients themselves? Um, Look, certainly for some of them, but now we've got such a huge range of music. Mm. Um, There's some sort of neoclassical, there's jazz, there's some vocal. Um, We actually worked with some of the patients and families over the years to write lyrics for some songs that have been part of what we use. So there's a huge choice and we don't force anyone into any particular genre, but I think they um, really respond to having some music there in the background as they come into procedures. Yeah. We've also found that it's really great for us as staff. Yeah. As in while you're in the theatre. While we're in the operating theatre, recovery or um, day oncology, to have the music in the background. Yeah. Particularly... If we've had a fairly stressful morning, often the team will go, boy, it was just great having that music there to help us chill, slow down a little bit, yeah. you know, keep focused. You can, uh, for someone who has been in, in a lot of theatres in my time, I, um, I notice the theatres where there's no music playing compared to theatres where there is music playing. The ones where there's no music playing, it, it does feel a lot more sterile, do I, dare I say it? Like, mm. I'm not sure I, I need a better use of words than <laughs> sterile, but, um, but it just, it, it does just feel very quiet and, and people just kind of going about their work and, and things like that, but not much, not necessarily much productivity kind of happening and, and that stuff yeah. as well. So. And I guess for me, music was sort of a gentle way to start some conversations about how we all connect and what the environment's like for us as well as for the patients. Yeah. Just going back to where you were talking about your the, these theatre plays and that going around the world with those uh, and getting your feedback from the audiences, was the the way that they were run was it that you would go in and you would do the do the play and then you have a discussion forum at the end or do you send out a survey or what happens? Yeah, we do a discussion forum. Yeah. So as soon as the play finishes, we would spend half an hour, forty five minutes, just throwing it out there to the audience for their comments and their feedback and reflections. And it's quite fascinating that the use of live theatre is so unexpected in a hospital setting, in a hospital um, auditorium or even tea room or seminar room, that it seems to emotionally light people up and they start to talk and they start to communicate together about some of the hard things and particularly experiences where things might have gone wrong. Yeah. For a patient or family. And then how do we unpack that and how do we debrief out of that? And and do you find 
some people might still be reluctant to give information such as that because it's it's a fairly it can be a fairly daunting topic I guess to can kind of openly daunting. say you know we have a problem with culture in our department or something like that. Yeah, look, it's been very interesting. I've been pleasantly surprised, or you know, sometimes amazed at what people will say publicly because of this experience of the live theatre. Um, at one particular organisation, an executive member got up after the play and said it was a good play, but the character, we have an older consultant who's been bullying the junior staff mm. and has lost touch with what it's like to be a junior doctor and a bit unsure. And he's very intolerant of the junior staff. So this exec person said, you know, that character's an old-fashioned concept and doesn't exist anymore. Followed by a junior doctor who stood up and said, I'm sorry, uh, they're throughout this organisation, they hold your career in their hands and there's no one safe you can tell because you won't have a job next year. Yeah. Followed by the basically hands went up everywhere agreeing. Yeah. Now, what sort of a reality check is that to the senior management who see that this is actually a problem that nobody has felt safe to talk about? Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's, that, that alone is a big topic about empowerment and that because the same thing also happens with students going into a new department on a clinical placement and they don't feel like they can say, speak up about things like that because, because they're worried about not being able to get a job. Exactly. Whereas the voice of that new person, like grad nurse coming into our theatre, absolute fresh eyes, it's so fantastic to be able to hear what they think and to have them ask questions safely mm. and be able to speak up and say, why do you do it that way? Yeah. Not we've done it for 20 years, you know, but ask you a question that may make you reconsider how you do something or why you're doing something. Yeah. It's such an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the, about the, the pandemic. The pandemic has had some interesting impacts, particularly on us trying to talk about kindness and how we all look after each other. When it first happened, I thought, you know, basically the Hush Foundation might need to shut down. We just won't be able to function in this sort of environment. Mm. But people kept coming to us and saying we really need to be talking about our relationships and how to look after each other and how organisations can look after us because we're not going to be able to cope in a pandemic. I was going to say probably more so than ever, really. More so than ever. It's been incredible. We run a series of events called the Gathering of Kindness, which we normally were live events pre-pandemic, and we would go like on a roadshow to different hospitals and mm -hmm. talk about topics like kindness at handover and what sort of policies and procedures might be getting in the way of us being kind to each other? How could we rejig the system to make it more kind? And then the pandemic hits. We went uh, really to online events and found that we had near 40,000 people a year tuning in to wow. be part of these conversations. So it has really, I think, shone a light on some of the cracks in the system that were there before, but now they've become really obvious as we're under more and more pressure. And in fact, our interrelationships are absolutely key to being able to survive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and what's next for patient-centred care? Um, look, I would really like to see way more co-design with our patients and families and bringing them to the table at every opportunity in a really honest and transparent and let's share this journey together. 
and particularly around thinking about kindness and respect in every single interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the way of the future. Don't just do your, you know, patient satisfaction surveys for the purpose of accreditation or something like that. Just yes. try to actually make it something that you do all the time. That and, is and meaningful. And um, there's quite a movement around the world about what matters to you. So, in fact, uh, not just a patient satisfaction, but asking at every interaction, what is it that matters to you? What are the things that we can do and make your journey the best possible? And you'll get some surprising answers. It might not be what we think it is yeah. that matters to that family or to that young person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, Kathy, for such a great and insightful conversation. Uh, for more information about the Hush Foundation, you can check out their website at hush.org.au and we'll put a link to this in the show notes for today. Thanks for a wonderful chat, Kathy. Thanks, Steve. And we also add the Gathering of Kindness website. Absolutely. Gatheringofkindness.org. No problem. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.